Well, good morning, everyone. I kind of wanted to hear from you guys. We've got a we've got a like a 15 year range uh, marriage year range. So who's on the front end of that? Like 11 to 20 ish. Okay. Anybody like 20 to 26? I think that's where we ended. Two. Okay. Now let's. I want to know Kit. Uh, child situation. How many of you have children? Is that it? Okay. Um, and age ranges of children, are they on the like middle school, high school, elementary school, little bit of both? <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, anybody empty nesters? All right. All right. We're not alone. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're just there at the empty net. We're like 26 years uh, married and adult children, so we're like right on the tail end of like we, if we were attending, we would be in Jeff's and Denise's group, so. 26 years of romantic bliss. No problems, total success, model Mm -hmm. couple. Yes, (laughs) yes. No, just kidding, just kidding. Hey, um, we just want to, uh, I'm going to take a moment here to pray for us, and um, in a few minutes, we're just going to kind of walk through our married story, our life story a little bit, and then we're going to back up and uh, talk about some of the le- lessons that we've learned in some of these key moments, and also give you guys some, some tools that have been helpful to us in marriage that have saved us and um, kept the gears from grinding and locking up, and hopefully they're tools that you can use in in your marriage as well, all right? Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for this time. Lord, we, I so uh, appreciate these couples who have gathered here, Lord, to invest in themselves. Father, I ask that they would see a return of this investment on their time. Father, they would sense your smile and your pleasure upon them. And Lord, as they steward their marriage and seek to make it one that honors you, that glorifies you, God, may you give them a vision and a purpose, a mission for their marriage that wouldn't just be to survive, but it would be one, Lord God, that would cause them to thrive. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was born in the the Bronx, Bronx, New York, and um, Jesus came into my life when I was 17 years old. And in order to get away from the influences and, and all that, I, of influences of my friends and um, people who were pulling down these influences that were keeping my faith uh, from growing, I left New York and I came out to California to go to Bible school. And a couple years after graduating Bible school, I was uh, an intern at Calvary Chapel San Jose doing my pastoral internship. And Calvary Chapel Monterey and San Jose would often get together and do stuff. One of the, op- one of the opportunities was a... Uh, junior high summer camp, and um, that's where I met Denise. She was standing in front of me in the registration line, her brown hair cascading off her shoulders, and I said, ooh-wee, she the one. And so that's where we met. Tell us about you, your beginnings. Yeah, so my, uh, that's where we met prior to that. I was born and raised in Monterey, Uh, My parents um, came to the Lord in the Jesus movement in the 70s, I think it was the 70s. Um, And so 
when they got married and started having children, like church life, body life was just an integral part of our uh, childhood and growing up experience. And so um, there was a little bit of a a rebellion time in my high school years where it was like, well, do I really believe what my parents believe? And I had a few jaunts of, um, you know, testing the waters in other in other areas and, and came to the conclusion for myself that, you know what, I think my parents had it right. And um, started to follow Jesus, not because of what I had been raised in, but because I genuinely believed that the story of the gospel and how God loved us and showed us that love through his son was, was the ultimate answer for my fulfillment and purpose in life. And so at around 17 years old, that's when I began um, more intentionally seeking to develop that relationship with God. And what did this mean and what did this look like? There's so many things as a person who grew up in the church that you just take for granted and, and also, you learn to speak this language, but you don't always, like, understand all of the implications of it. And so it was, it was kind of that, that was the beginning of my journey. And I started helping out in um, youth ministry as I was getting ready to transition, um, graduating high school. And, like, that's such an awkward stage of life in the church. Like, what do I, do I go to big service? Do I, like, at that time, I don't think we had a college and career uh, group, so it was like, I'm connected to my youth group, so the natural transition, my youth pastor said, well, why don't you start helping out with the junior hires? So that is um, where we met. I was graduated, just barely graduated from high school, and I went to summer camp as a camp counselor, um, and that's where we met. Yeah, she was 18, I was 21 only four years of walking with Jesus and learning how to do this Christian life and figuring out ministry and whatnot. And um, we, uh, one thing led to another and one evening we uh, put ourselves in a compromising situation. We had sex and Denise got pregnant and that began a whirlwind of a beginning of marriage. Um, uh, we didn't know if we were supposed to be married. We didn't want to assume that. And so Nate's dad was yeah. my pastor at the time. He came alongside of us, and uh, we decided to kind of flip the script. Most people decide, hey, we're going to get married, so let's do premarital counseling. He counseled us, let's flip it. Let's do premarital counseling to determine whether or not you should be married. And so we did this in-depth, in intense, intensive uh, premarital counseling, and at the end of it, we looked at each other, and we said, yeah, we're, we're, still, we're still into this. Yeah. You know, we still want to be together. We had no idea what we were in for, because those first three years, I, I call them the three years from hell. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe yeah. those first three years? Tell us a little bit of, from your angle, what, what well, it was like. I believe that Bill illustrated it in our premarital counseling as two rivers converging. And when you see where those rivers converge, there are violent rapids. <laughs> and, and that was kind of uh, our story, for sure, as our rivers were converging. And we were figuring out what this marriage thing looked like, inviting uh, God into that space of us and saying, what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? What does this look like? And also like, oh yeah, we just had a baby. What do we, how do we parent? 
Yeah, we, we barely knew each other. I mean, how, how, how long were we together before we got married? So we met in July. That was when summer camp was. Yep. We were married in February. And we had our first son in June. June. I turned 19 five days before my, our son was born. Yep. So we were babies. Yeah, we, uh, some of our challenges was not just uh, getting to know each other, um, not knowing each other, but also um, adjusting to being new parents. I mean, we were kids ourselves. I mean, how do, how do you Rapids, do <laughs> lots of rapids converging. And then add on top of that, my first job um, was delivering paintings here in Monterey for Thomas Kincaid. And uh, I got paid a whopping salary of, was it 1300 a month? I think that was before taxes. Oh, before taxes, and our rent for a little one-bedroom apartment on Forest Avenue in Pacific Grove was six seventy-five. And so the, we had to make it last. We had to stretch out the rest. Denise got very creative in the kitchen, pasta, uh, lots of pasta, all different kinds of way, getting bread donations from the Crisis Pregnancy Center here in town. And um, I remember one of our one of the meals that I think kind of captures how tough things were. We were hungry for hamburgers. We, we wanted meat, and it was just too expensive for us. And so we had very little in, at the home, at, in home, and so, but we had this thing of oats. I had a little bit of oatmeal, I had one egg, and I think I had a few condiments in there. Yeah, and and she, an onion. Yeah, she chopped that stuff up, mixed it all together, packed it up, and slapped it on the grill. We had these things called oat burgers. <laughs> So with the bread yeah. that we got, I have volunteered at the um, what's now the Compassion Pregnancy Center, and there was a bakery next door that would come and donate their day-old bread or orders that got canceled. And we would give that out to the clients because that particular um, uh, location was in a um, lower economic area. So that was it was just as helpful to these women coming in potentially in crisis pregnancies to give them actual bread um, or food as it was to also speak to their their crisis situation. And I would go home often with, um, you know, with that fresh baked bread and so oat burgers. Yep. Yep. So we didn't know we were in some ways we were in crisis in those first three years. Yes. Uh, but we were also just like kind of too dumb to know how bad we had it in terms of economics or even, and there was a really beautiful, um, I, I'd say beautiful and naive, just trust that like it was going to work out. God, you know, we trusted God and, you know, when you trust God, like you can trust God because yeah. it works out. Don't always know how, don't always know the end picture, but he is faithful to fulfill his promises. And so um, that, was, that was the beginnings. Yeah. Uh, in, in the meantime, I, I've always felt I've had this calling on my life to be in ministry, to be a pastor. Um, we didn't know how entirely that was going to work out, but as I was working odds and end jobs to make ends meet here in town, um, I continued to keep my eye out for opportunities and um, we moved away a few times in that first few years of our marriage, how many times, including in-town moves, how many times did we move away and come back to Monterey before I became the youth pastor here? Okay, I have to put down my mic. Well, I don't even have enough fingers to do the finger, uh, 
11 times in three years, we moved. Not just in town, but also out and coming back. Yeah. And eventually, um, uh, Pastor Bill called me up and asked me if I was interested in being the youth pastor here. The church had just moved into this building, and um, a few, maybe a year or so, I don't know how long later, I became a, the youth pastor here. And um, things began to settle at that point. We got some st- financial stability um, and uh, having the support of family around here. And um, then our second child was born when we moved back, Jonathan. Um, and Jonathan was born how many years after Manny? Almost three. Almost three so years. There's almost three years. Ago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that began, you know, from there, after I was a youth pastor here, we had an opportunity to go move out to Georgia. My mother had relocated from the Bronx down to Georgia for her job. And we began to visit the area, and we felt a connection with one of the pastors there who invited us to come out and be his youth pastor. And so um, it was about a two-year process to make that decision. Uh, we handed the youth ministry over to Pastor Nate. He became the youth pastor, and I moved out to, uh, we moved out to Georgia. And... Uh, our kids experienced their elementary school years in Georgia as I was the youth pastor there. And then we planted a church also on the south side of Atlanta. Um, after that, uh, we moved to Virginia, where I stepped back, out, stepped back into youth ministry, um, got fired from the church there. Uh, there was just some chemistry issue. I won't go into all the details, but um, some chemistry issues between the pastor and I. And... Um, it was at that point that God kind of redirected me. I had, I, up until that point, all I knew was Calvary Chapel and what um, that was kind of my, my church background. And uh, I, we ended up moving to Iowa to uh, be a senior pastor of a Baptist church that was five years old. And um, that's where my oldest son went through high school, went through high school, and my youngest son uh, went through junior high and high school. Um, three years was where we were there, and there were some cool opportunities. Uh, you know, this is a great church that had really a, a lots of vision for their little town. Um, Pause for a second. Okay. Does anyone know where Iowa Falls is? Iowa Falls, Iowa? It, yeah. Yes, it's in <laughs> Iowa. So their claim to fame is in the straw polls when uh, the... the uh, before the elections, when all the pre- presidential candidates go and campaign, Iowa Falls is one of the places that they stop, and they do like their little in town home, town hall things. Like they'll go to the grocery store deli and hang out there, and people will come and talk and, and, and ask them questions and stuff. So like they always get these big politicians coming through this little. 5,000 population, five square mile town, <laughs> smack dab in the middle of Iowa. But if you want to picture, so that's one of their claims to fame, but it's, if you want to picture it for a moment, it's this town that a river runs through it, and if, it's like going back in time. Like if you remember reading those books, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn books, like where they just had these adventures and they were going off, you know, to adventure all day. Like that was my kids' middle school, my, like, Days. Like, they'd get on their bikes and ride through town. They'd stop and go cliff diving into the river. They'd go cave. Like, they'd stop at the, what was it, Casey's, Casey's to go refuel with their five bucks in their pocket. And then they'd go for the rest of the day in town. And this was, like, just a few years ago. So I was like, this is such a sweet place to yeah. raise them at that age. 
Um, so that's Iowa Falls. Yeah. In addition to pastoring the church, you know, this little town didn't have a lot of amenities. And so one of the ways that I felt God leading me to reach out to this town and to um, let, them, let the town know, hey, I'm, I'm not just here for this church, I'm here for, for you too, is we started a karate school uh, using our own resources, our own money, a little karate school. And it was what a wonderful, you know, it was a bucket list of mine since growing up to own my own school. And man, lots of kids, lots of parents. And um, man, the ministry that happened through that was just incredible. That's one of the, the highlights. Also, that's where um, my oldest son started college. And we're going to circle back around to that because it was that season that God used uh, to teach us, um, you know, a pretty important lesson in regards to thinking about the future. Yeah, and I think we'll, it'll, hopefully we'll be able to share some of the things that we learned and pass them on to you guys in the stage of life that you're at with your, your children. Oh, I'm not using the mic. Sorry. <laughs> Let me repeat that. <laughs> so hopefully that things that we learned during that season of our lives with parenting, we'll be able to pass on some of those nuggets to you and you'll be able to take those and implement and that they'll be a blessing to you. So we were in Iowa for three years and then we transitioned back to California um, where I pastored two churches, one in Merced, California, another one in Fresno. That's the last church that I pastored. Both churches were church, what they call turnaround churches or churches that were in crisis and they wanted a pastor to come in and help them uh, turn it around. And so when the opportunity, when the doors began to close in Fresno, uh, we'd always thought maybe one day we would return back to Monterey. And we'd always keep our eye out, you know, seeking, asking. I remember one time I called Pastor Nate, hey, some things are shaking up here. It looks like the door might be closing. Do you know of any opportunities on the peninsula? Um, and so I'd just keep in touch, you know, because we have family here and whatnot. And um, it was at the end of my time in Fresno that uh, I threw in my application at Trinity Christian High School, and they hired me to be a Spanish teacher um, to freshmen and sophomore students. And so we, uh, that was when our, well, when we lived in Fresno was when our oldest son uh, finished up his college. Our youngest son was starting college. And when we moved here, it was kind of this natural way to say, hey, you're welcome to come with us, or you're welcome to stay, but we're going back to Monterey we're so glad they decided to stay. <laughs> and we keep doing the fingers crossed because it's been kind of like, we're empty nesters. No, we're not. We're empty nesters. No, we're not. We're empty nesters. I think. Yes. <laughs> so we had to move into this very small one-bedroom apartment so they didn't have any space to come back to. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, a few months after being here, uh, the opportunity came for me to be able to come back on staff, and man, what a joy it's been to transition into this new season of our lives as empty nesters, and we're, st we're, we've, we're just crossing over the 50-yard line of our lives, and if the Lord continues to tarry, and if he doesn't take us with him, man, we have 50 yards left to the, to the goal line, and so it's just been a joy over this last, um, these last couple years to serve alongside Pastor Nate and, you know, thinking about you being the youth pastor here and, and, and just seeing who you've become and, you know, so much respect for the God. Listen, even though I'm a little bit older than him, so much respect that I feel, not just for him and who he's become and what God has done. The other day I was um, 
recording upstairs, doing some announcements for this Sunday. And he's usually never there when I'm doing, but he walked in and I got nervous. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, he's, he's a real man and I know him and there's that sense of, man, I know you, I'm not impressed, but also there's this other side that, man, I'm just impressed with what God has done. For you sure. Know. And to give you like the, the sense of the juxtaposition of that is Nate actually, we have it on video. Yes. We have, we have evidence. After his accident, if he, he's probably shared at some point, um, he had to wear a, a back brace after a car accident. Um, we, that was right when we were getting married when he was recovering from that. And um, they, their family came to our wedding and we had karaoke at our wedding. <laughs> Nate graced us with uh, his karaoke version of Born to be Wild. Yes. In his back brace, like full on, like trying to dance, but like awkward back brace. I have the video. Yes. So, so going from like that to seeing how God has just been faithful in your life and, and using you is just, just a sweet, sweet uh, testimony to God's faithfulness. Amen. And um, yeah, so it's Amen. fun to watch and be a part of now. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of our story, our quick uh, overview of it. Now, you know, we want to circle back and talk about some of the lessons that we learned and also give you some of the tips and tricks and tools that have been helpful to us and perhaps they would be helpful to you and then afterwards we'll just open it up to, to questions. So be thinking, you know, any questions you might have as we've journeyed through this season that might, maybe they might be able to speak to this because here's where we're at and they've already been through that. Um, I wanna start that, uh -huh. that transition talk with just saying, I think, and you probably heard it in Manny's um, sharing our story, that the one common thread that's woven throughout our journey has been um, ministry and God. <laughs> and I don't say that those are, I mean, sometimes they felt like they were different, even though they're connected in some ways. Um, we started, we met in ministry, and it, he's always had a call in his life in ministry, and I've kind of figured out where I fit in different seasons of life in ministry as a pastor's wife. Um, but she goes like this. I because do that she because like I that really title. don't like those titles for myself. I'm like, you know, what? I'm just his wife. Yeah. I'm just a mom, just trying to make it. Like, don't don't put that extra like pastor's wife or first lady on me. Like, uh, can't I just can't. Um, but that thread of ministry and, um, and God focus, that God has been the center of our marriage, and even in all of the turmoil and craziness, that he is faithful. And um, I love the Nate and Christina alluded to this, um, but it, uh, they had quoted something just about God being the center of your relationship and glorifying him. Um, the Westminster Catechism says that what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And really that's the bottom line in our, in, for us as individuals, like to, what is the chief end? What is my purpose in life? What is my goal? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is the goal in our marriage? To do the same. Towards each other and, and God doing that through the relationship to the world around us. That's the goal. That's a, if we can, if we can just ground ourselves in that, all the other stuff's going to work out. So I say that because now we're going to give you some practical things, but like, this is the foundation. This is the core. 
And this is where that all flows from. Mm -hmm. So. So I'll just say one of the things that we've done, um, I think, throughout our marriage um, and our family, in, in our family, is um, thinking, always thinking of what are the next steps? What, what, what does the next three years, four years, five years look like? And getting ahead of that to prepare, to prepare for that. Um, one of the practical ways that that happened in our lives was our children went, oh, were always in public school. And we were aware, okay, when they, even though we have these values at home, these, these principles that we raise them by, we know that, that when they're there, um, those things are gonna be challenged. And so we'd always try to head, stay ahead to make sure they were prepared for that. Um, what are they gonna be facing? What are the things, that the issues that they're gonna be confronting? One of the areas was uh, um, when it comes to sex. We knew that they were gonna be in sex ed classes and those kinds of things, so we wanted to make sure ahead of time to prepare them so it wasn't a surprise to them, and they were already formed and shaped in their minds. Here's what we think. Here's where God is at. Here's where we, and so I remember one time, here was one of my, uh, they were, my oldest son was about to go to junior high school, and I said, hey, come with me. And so we went to the school, and uh, we walked into one of the bathroom stalls, and I said, start reading. And I showed him, you know, what the tag and everything, everything that was on the walls. And I, I wanted him to be, because I didn't want him to be in shock. I wanted him to be equipped and prepared. And so we started talking, here's what this means, here's what that means. Was it uncomfortable? Absolutely. Of course it was uncomfortable. But I have a responsibility. And I needed to sacrifice and my discomfort for the sake of his benefit and preparing him to be equipped uh, for that. So staying ahead of these conversations as they were growing uh, developmentally was a huge thing that I think was helpful and useful in our marriage. Yes, and I will say one of us is much better at that than the other. <laughs> so I had to, sometimes I'm like, I'm just trying to figure out what's for dinner. Like, <laughs> yeah. don't make me think five years ahead. Um, but he was so good at casting that vision to say, wait, if this is where we want to be, if this is where we're headed, then, then what do we need to do today? And again, Nate and Christine spoke, Christina spoke to that um, as well, of just like starting with the end in mind, basically. Another place in our marriage where that was, um, came into play was when we lived in Iowa. And um, my youngest son had just graduated into high school and now he was a freshman. My oldest son, graduated high school was his first year in college. And when you removed that, his personality from our home, something, I noticed, wow, something's different. Jonathan and I are very similar, very stoic, very serious. Uh, we don't get um, sarcasm and banter. Um, but Manny and Denise, they, they get each other. They're tossed sarcasm back and forth. And, and so the levity and the, the, the happiness and, you know, the, in our home kind of went away because she didn't have anybody to do that with. And I just realized, like, holy smokes, what just happened? And it got me thinking, man, in three years, Jonathan will be at the same place as Manny. So I was like, man, I've seen so many marriages unravel when they reach that place of there are no more kids at the home, in the home. They've been so focused on child rearing that all of a sudden now the kids are absent. Who are you? 
how do we do this without, you know, children? And so um, my pastor, Bill, he was down in uh, Arkansas at the time. And I said, hey, how do you transition from whatchamacallit to, you know, from having kids to empty nesting? Could you? So we drove down and spent the day with him. And one of the uh, pieces of advice that he gave us was um, dream about the future. Write it in pencil, not in pen, but dream about the future. Where do you want to be in three years? What do you want your life to look like? Are there things that you have put off because you've been in the middle of child rearing that you may you want to resume? Um, and so that started a season of us dreaming together, talking together, going for long walks, and, and not trying to lock down a plan because there's part of this that you don't know. Life happens, and so you have to be ready to pivot. Um, and it was during that season that one of the things Denise put on the table was, man, I'd love to go back to school. She never finished college. She never started college. Just having babies. <laughs> Getting married. Yeah. And so she said, I'd like to go back to school. Um, we determined during that time, we, we would really love to be back in California. All of our fa- we've been away, and all of our families on the West Coast, her family's on the West Coast. Um, the, these kids are growing up. They're go- we're missing dance Nieces recitals. Nieces and nephews. Huh? Nieces and nephews. Yeah. We're missing dance recitals, sporting events, birthdays, and the- we'd love to be back in California. So those were some kind of things that began to set a trajectory for us and put us on the same page in regards to these high-stakes decisions that would be made in the next few years. So planning and staying ahead, anticipating the next steps. At three to five years, you know, uh, that's kind of how we, um, kind of how we planned it out. Um, anything else you want to add to that? No, not at this time. I may circle back. Okay. Um, one of the tools or I, would, I, I call this a tool because it's something that was helpful to us when we learned it. Um, you can tell we have made a, we've moved a lot. And when you get to know Denise, I'm very, I'm, obviously we're very different. She's a woman. I'm a man. <laughs> but um, when it came to the relocations, um, those were difficult for her. You want to talk about that a little? How, why, what made it so challenging? Well, so I told you I was born and raised here. It wasn't until we got married. So I went, I basically, I went to Foothill for a few years, and then we moved to Monterey, and went, I attended uh, Monta Vista Elementary. I went to Colton Middle School and graduated from Monterey High School. I basically went up with the same group of peers my entire childhood. And there were deep roots here. My dad is, I'm third generation here. So my, so, so there's deep roots in the community. Um, our family was very close. And I envisioned for my family um, having that same kind of childhood for my kids where they got to grow up and be in school with the same kids and uh, you know build those relationships and community and just tighten it. Um, and so when we started talking about moving, like that just stirred up this like, my dreams are being crushed. <laughs> like all my expectations for the family. And, and so it just stirred up this thing in me that it was hard, every single move did this to me because we would go and it was like we, we moved um, 
to Georgia then after. Um, the reason why it took two years to make that decision. It was me. Yeah, there, it was a struggle for me to get to that place, but God was doing something in my heart and saying like, home, your home is not here anyway. There is no home here on earth, yep. none. And that longing that you feel for community and everything will never fully be met here. So stop it. Yep. Stop thinking that this is the end and this is the place. Yeah, every move was like trauma, it was, you know. Every I, time I would. It's been a long lesson. Hey, you know, something. Um, but there's been lessons for me too yeah. there. I'm, we're gonna yeah, so, so that moving was hard. But <laughs> so we've moved a lot and, and so we've had to learn to, when, when those collisions of values would happen and she was pulling one way and pulling another way, we're so grateful for this sermon series that we heard that Andy Stanley uh, gave. I think it was called the, the, the best question, the most important question. He said, so often when we come to these high-stake times when we're trying to make these decisions, we often ask, what is good, what is right, what is wrong, what is moral, what is ethical? And, th and those are great questions to ask, but what he was suggesting was um, those questions just kind of stop short. And so he was suggesting in this sermon series that the, a better question to ask is, what is wise? What is wise? What is the wise thing for me to do? So as you come up in your lives in these different stages and you're trying to make these big decisions for your family and here you have one set of values and you're looking at it one way, she sees it a different way and now you're both you know, tugging on each other, well we should do this, we should do that. Well, what's the wise thing to do? But you ask that question with three different lenses on. In light of our past experiences, our present circumstances, and our future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Because each one of those lenses affect what the wise thing to do is. How was that helpful in our marriage when we would ask that question regarding not just our moves, but even financial decisions, decisions regarding our children, um, times where we were scratching our heads and confused, man, we don't know what to do. How was that helpful. I think of two particular instances that it was just like, oh, yeah. And again, I'm still working through my issues on moving um, and that my wanting the roots, but knowing this is temporary here, so I need to hold that lightly. Um, but one of the things that that particular question helped me to do is to look back and say, in the light of how hard all the moves have been, and knowing that we might move again, what's the wisest way for me to respond this time? <laughs> what have I learned? How have I grown? What, what have I, wisdom have I gathered from the past that can now inform my heart to say, okay, it's hard still, but this time I don't wanna do what I did to him. <laughs> I wanna respond in a different way. That's one way that it's helped me. The other way is, um, when we started asking those questions about dreaming for our future in the light of being empty nesters, and you know, as you can imagine, w with our story um, and how we started financially, like the financial picture, like it took us 17 years to get on the same page to even like have a budget. Well, I wouldn't say we're quite on the same. We're page not on yet. the same page. I'm still a spender. Well, no. 
We're on the same page. We're just not on the same side of the page. There you go. But, but we've, it's the we've same moved a page. lot closer. Yes. Right? I'm still the spender, <laughs> and she's the saver. And so that, that's always a, that's always a there, kind a of tension a... tension to manage. Yeah. Oh, this is the other thing from that. There are some things that are not problems to be solved. They are tensions to manage. Yep. This is a t finances with us and our perspectives and values when it comes to finances is a tension to manage. It is not a problem to solve. So therefore, we can't say, I'm right, you're wrong. Solved. No, it says, what's your values? How can I speak into your values? And, and we, can, we can arrange our finances to, to hold those values. How can he speak into my values regarding finances? And so that kind of... Um, so how did the, the what is yes. wise question in light of our... So here's the Sorry, question. I go again. off on tangents. In light of our past experiences, our present circumstances, and our future hopes and dreams, what is the wisest thing to, for, for us to do when it came to our finance? How did that question help you with that? Well, at the same time that I, um, we were kind of dreaming together, and so we were asking, looking future and saying, what's the wise thing to do financially? Um, God was working in his life through Dave Ramsey, which shameless plug, and we'll be doing these a few times. We're doing a Dave Ramsey thing here. So if you're interested, if, if finance is an er of tension in your marriage, like this is a good way to say, let's just, let's just go listen, not to fix each other, but let's see if there's something that we can learn from this. Um, Dave Ramsey uh, was working in Manny's life. <laughs> Jesus was working. Jesus was working through Dave Ramsey <laughs> in Manny's life to get us closer to um, being on the same page in, in finances. But what that did, and this question of, um, in the light of our past circumstances, present, or past experiences, present circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? We began to say, gosh, you know, ministry's been hard financially. Like how could we, could we decouple the vocation and where you get a paycheck and your calling like could we say like what if what if we were totally free this was the dream what if we were totally free from needing a paycheck to do ministry what if what if he could just say and rest in his calling no matter where no matter when and we could just be free to just live and obey god in whether that. or not there was a paycheck whether yeah. or not there was a paycheck so like some of these churches that we went to were in really real financial dire straits and they were turnaround churches and it was like, you got two years and, and the doors are closed and the doors are closing financially. Like we got to get, what if he could have gone into that and said, I don't need to take a paycheck from you. I'm here to serve you. And that's it. So dreaming like that and saying, what would that look like? So we started forming a plan to say, God, how could we today use our finances to try to someday be decouple those two things? And that's one of the things that brought us way together was, was uh, thinking that way in regards to our finances. That was, I found that very motivating um, from my end being a spender, and she was already motivated that way being a saver, and so it brought us on the same page. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the tools that's been helpful for us, again, with as we all face, our decisions have had to be you know, we're, have been um, moving, financial moves, children. Um, one of the tools that I'd like to give to you is um, what we call the best case, worst case analysis. Um, where, oh, so we, where was it? Was it Georgia? 
Virginia. It was Virginia. We had read a book by Ben Carson. And Ben Carson, if you know who he is, he was a neurosurgeon who would have to make these very incredible, difficult decisions of separating conjoined twins. And whatever decision he made, it was a risk. There was a challenge. There was a potential for huge loss. And so do I do the surgery? Do I not do the surgery? And so he developed this tool called the best case, worst case analysis that helped him in making these decisions where, hey, either way I go, it's risky. There's a risk. There's a chance that we're going to take. And so we started using this to help us make decisions. Um, and so what, it's better than the uh, pros and cons list because it, it looks at things from four different perspectives. So let's take, for example, um, one of our, let's pick up one of our decisions that we had to make. Do we move to Iowa? Yes. Or do we stay? Do we stay? In Virginia. In Virginia. And so here, um, here's how we use this to help us make this decision. Four quadrants. This side is best case. This is worst case. Um, So in this quadrant, as we began to answer this question, what's the best case scenario if we, yes, move to Iowa? And so we would sit down and we just begin to brainstorm. If things would work out ideally, and we'd just create a, bullet, a bulleted list, you know, creating and talking back and forth, and, um, and she'd give her things, I'd give our things. We'd think about it from the perspective of the children as well. Yeah. You guys add your stuff. And we were like, hey, we know you're young teenagers. This is difficult for you to do, but we want you to go through this. We want you to force yourself to end because we want to hear you. We want your input, your feedback. We want you to be heard. What's the best case scenario if, yes, we make the whatever the decision is? As you go down here, what's the best case scenario if we don't go to Iowa, if we stay in Virginia? We talk through that. Now you move over into this column, this quadrant. What's the worst case scenario if we move to Iowa? See, I was always the idealist. I would always look at things through, you know, being the guy called to ministry, you know, those rose-colored glasses. Oh, there's an, I'd only look at things in this. And she, she's the realist. <laughs> he says, he calls it howing the wow. Yeah, don't, don't, don't howl the wow. the wow. Come on. Let the wow sink in. This is an awesome thing. And then, after we would talk, dialogue about this, she gets to put what she wants there. I get to, no arguing over this. This is a, just a brainstorming session, all right? And then, what's the worst case scenario if we don't go to Iowa? What are the missed opportunities? What are the, you know? And, and again, we look at it from every person's angle, all the different things. So, prior to this, I was just going to say, it's like in business talk, the, what do they say, the um, cost-benefit analysis? Yeah. yeah. That's basically what this is. But part of this, describe what our, before we had this tool, describe us trying to have a conversation about moving with you and, and hey, I'm here, this is my home, and I don't like moving, versus me being the adventurous one. Describe our 
trying to make decisions before we had this tool. Well, it was basically, he's here in this quadrant, I'm here in this quadrant, and we're fighting each other across quadrant. And that was, that was it, it was the merry-go-round. Like the same argument every time, just repeated over and over. Yeah, and she was feeling, you're not hearing me, and I'm feeling, you're not listening to me. You don't care about what I think, I don't, it, and it was just a mess. And every time, it was not just traumatic for her, but it was trauma for me, man. I wanna do what God wants me to do, I'm feeling, but you're here you are pulling. When this tool came into our hand through this book, here's what happened. Now it enabled us to talk. We became, we now were on the same team. We weren't on opposite sides. It was, how can we contribute to all of this? And then... I was still the adventurous one. I was still who I was. She was still who she was. But now she felt heard. I felt heard. Now, this is not what made the decision. This was just a tool to help keep the gears from locking up in our relationship. To keep us talking, to keep the communication lines open. Yeah, from there, once we had this, this then became our prayer list. And this was, okay, we've hashed it out, we've thrown it all on paper, we've brainstormed, and now we're on our faces saying, God, what do you want? Here's this what would, we see. We'd put it up on our refrigerator, and at any time, any one of us could go up and add something else as we thought of it, you know? Not to try to outwin or outargue each other, but God, here's, here's what we got. Now you, you take the rest. So I'll give you an example of a couple who I counseled regarding a decision that they were making. This wife, she was raised in a family that valued adoption. Her family adopted tons of kids and she was used foster to adopt foster family and all that. The husband didn't. Well, they had an opportunity to foster a child or to adopt a child and they came in for counseling because they were at both two different ends. It was collision of values. Side note, these are not issues that are like moral imperatives. Like they're not issues that it's like, dude, the Bible, we already have an answer. <laughs> like there's not a question here. These yeah. are like, yeah, we don't know what to do. This is, this is a good thing. It's possibly a good opportunity, but we just don't know. So, and so this couple um, came to me and I said, hey, as he explained his side, hey, I want to, I, I, I have a... I need to protect my family. I don't know how this is going to affect our family. We might not be, and I was, man, you know, I'm, I need, I'm the provider. I'm, the, I'm, you know, and he's thinking to add another child that we don't know. I don't know if we can, you know, this is the right time, maybe in the future. And she's thinking, no, we, I, I value, you know, adoption and um, fostering and this child's in need and how can we not? We have resources and I can see it work. And I was like, you know what, I don't, neither one of you are wrong. I think what you're missing is you just need to talk and hear each other and give God some time and space to uh, give the answer. And so they went through this and um, they ended up deciding to adopt and it was this beautiful, beautiful story. You wanna unpack that a little bit? Or? Well, she was asking for some specifics. So, like, give us some line items. Like, what were some of the things on their list? I didn't get to see their list. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you for us. For the Iowa, here's what, like, our boys. Our boys. And they were much better at this than we were. Because I'm like, I like to stay in this quadrant here. And Manny likes to be in that one. But theirs was, 
like what's the best case or what's the worst case scenario so my older son who he and I are very similar he he came in here with me for a little bit he said I have to leave all my friends that's gonna be so hard I built some really great relationships here but then he also said but I get to make new friends in a new place. For us, it was, um, for, for, for me, um, it was like, we love this area. Like, we were in um, Newport News, and it reminded me of Monterey because of the military. Um, there's a ton of military. When, growing up here, we had Fort Ord, we had DLI, we had MPS, all, and, and just the, the community dynamics as a result of having those military families here was just this beautiful thing that I always loved and treasured. And um, Virginia was like that. And so I loved that about Virginia. So that was one of the things that I was like sad about leaving. Gosh, that's going to be hard. And that would be great about staying if we didn't move. But you know what? Iowa Falls was kind of great for the stage of life that our, our boys were in. Like, the fact that my son, who likes to be independent and also likes to get into trouble, was in a safe environment to explore his independence, while also I would get a call before he got home from school saying, by the way, your son had to go to the principal's office. And then he got home, I was like, so how was your day? <laughs> that was a beautiful thing that Iowa Falls provided. So those are some, like... Obviously, that one was hindsight. I didn't actually know that before I experienced it. But it was a small town, different dynamic of raising a family. Positive. Good thing. So those are some, does that help? Does that help to unpack the best, worst? And then just kind of missed opportunity would be yep. the worst case scenario. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If I do this, what am I missing out on? The best case scenario, if I don't go to Iowa? Yeah. Yeah, the, de- the, bottom, the bottom two. So this is, so if yes, if yes we move to Iowa, what if we don't move to Iowa? What if we stay here? Well, you know what, we built some great friendships, we are connected to ministries here, and we could really see something great happening here. What's the worst case if we stay? Well, you know what, these schools are really rough for our kids. This is like urban living, and we, it's going to be a tough challenge for them if we put them in public school. I'm sorry. I forget the mic. You could have gotten one of these. They offered it. I know, it but I talk with my, well, I, 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 it was supposed to control me. Like, I talk with my hands, so this will keep me. It hasn't. <laughs> sorry. Dang it. Strategy did not work. So does that help answer that question of the, the no and sometimes what we found is that sometimes the, same, the answers would overlap from depending on yeah, which way you're, for sure. and that's fine, that's fine. But the most important thing for us was, again, the communication. The communication, yeah. and it was, since then, oh my gosh. Yeah. Do we still fight? <laughs> yeah. But this has just kept that to a minimum, and things are so much more healthy. We got now. four minutes. Okay. So, so I, that's it, that's so what we got. For you. So, in Question. four minutes, Any like, questions? pepper us with questions. Yes, sir. I have a question. Um, so, we have five, there's certain things, 
is there is there like an impending decision or you're talking about dreaming? Well, if it's, I would say if it's a decision like that, that there's no impending, dis, you know, decision, I, I think you, <laughs> well, I don't think you have to be, you know, have any finality yeah. to it, you know. I think it's okay to talk about it, banter back and forth, and at some point you might say, hey, let's put this to rest. You know, as long as both of your values when it comes to that issue have have been addressed. Hey, I see it this way. I feel heard. I feel validated. Um, yeah, it might be time to, you know, to put it, you know, and if, but if you still feel the need, if one of you still feel, hey, can we circle back around to do that? You know, give the other person permission to say, yeah, let's, let's do that at this time. Um, so it's all this, um, uh, give me your hand. Oh. So it's kind of this, it's kind of this, you're doing <laughs> the this, tension, you know, you're kind of doing this, you know, managing that tension. So the question was, um, I'm going to try to repeat this and correct me if I'm not being concise. Is this exclusively for the marriage, husband and wife decision, or, and is it dangerous to invite other voices into this, um, this scenario? I, I would answer, it depends. Because I, I think like in our scenario, we invited our kids in because this was going to affect them. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want my parents involved in that decision, though, even though they're family. But I say the ones that are directly involved um, in the decision that, sh that should have a voice in it to let's hear what your perspective is. I think that's important. Um, as far as the scenario where they had come and sought, I mean, they were on the same page. This husband and wife was like, hey, we're at an impasse. We need, we need some outside feedback. And Manny wasn't trying to tell them. Well, no, 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 oh. Right. I've, I've never oh. seen that. We've never used it in that way. I suppose, depending on the scenario, what is the scenario, and also who is that person? You know, um, I personally, for me, I would be very careful when it comes to our issues. Who is that person? Do we both trust them? Um, because even 
I might want to invite, hey, you know, I think this person might help us see some blind spots that we're missing, you know? And so uh, I could see a scenario. We've never done that, you know, but I suppose there could be some help there depending on what the issue is. Is it a inner circle, uh, circle of trust type of scenario? Um, and, and who is that person, you know? Are they really trying to sway the thing into one part or the other? Because that will disrupt trust and disrupt, you know, the benefit of this. Yes. 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 All right. We're out of I time. think we're we're out of time. Good questions. I hope this has um, been helpful to you. We are available after during lunch. Oh, sorry, I didn't know this had to be recorded. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for um, coming. I hope you've um, gotten some practical tools that you can take and put in your tool toolbox and pull those out in relationship to your marriage and your family and pass it on to someone else if you find it helpful. Um, we're available to chat more. These are uh, conversations that are, are ongoing for us and learning. Um, so, and we understand that's how it is with you guys too. So um, we're available to talk more um, during the breaks or during the lunch hour and um, God bless you guys. God bless. Thanks a lot.